those fantastic conversations, uh, which I'm sure you can uh, carry on uh, after our meeting this morning over a cup of tea uh, or a coffee and keep talking. We want to be a family, we want to be getting to know one another and building relationships. So it's really important that there, you, you use the space uh, afterwards over a tea and coffee just to connect with uh, one another. Welcome to church this morning. Um, I wonder if you turn in your Bibles to Exodus 33. If you need a Bible this morning, put a hand up and Lawrence will bring you one, or Helen's there. Uh, please just put a hand up or find it on your devi device. Exodus chapter 33. We're going to be having a look as we close out Amplified. This month we've spent seeking after God and pursuing God, uh, thinking about what it means to have God's presence with us. Um, for those of you who are there on Friday, in essence, I'm going to try and finish what we started on Friday, but were interrupted in. Uh, we didn't get more than about a third of the way through of what I wanted to say on Friday. Um, so we, we're going to try and see uh, whether we can get to the end of it this morning. And um, uh, Friday night, it felt to me that God spoke to our hearts. That wasn't the intention, but that is what happened. Um, I, I think Dee opening us this morning from Romans 12, the renewal of our minds... I've come to this morning saying, I want to speak to our minds. I want God to speak to our minds this morning and renew and change our thinking. So whether this is your first time in our church, in any church, whether you've got 50 years of history and heritage, whether you label yourself a Christian or not, whether you feel vibrant and full of life or stagnated, whether amplified has been enormous and life-transforming for you as you've prayed or fasted, or whether you've slept through it and haven't even realised it's happened, um, where, wherever you might, might be this morning, I, re I really hope that Jesus is going to speak to your mind. I really, really hope he's going to do that thing that Romans 12 promises that he read. No longer be conformed to the patterns of this world. Constrained, squeezed, pushed into the shape of this world. No longer be restricted by the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's my hope and my prayer. Uh, before we get into Exodus 33, please keep that open. I just want to tell a couple of the stories. Friday night, you, you heard them. I'll try and tell them a little bit from my mind, not my heart. We'll see how I get on with it, okay? Um, uh, a couple of stories. Um, and it, I feel slightly like I'm in new territory. Slightly like I'm on the edge of new spiritual territory, personally. I just feel that. Um, some of you know I was speaking to a group of ministers, a few hundred ministers, uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, earlier this week. They invited me up to Yorkshire and, and the Northern Baptist Associations to do their ministers' conference. So an incredible privilege to go and be a guest in their house. And on the first uh, Monday afternoon, and it's worth noting that we were meeting basically, I mean, it was a conference centre, but it was like a, a school hall, a primary school hall. It was the middle of the afternoon. We, we're on the Scarborough coast. The, the weather has arraigned us, but you could see the sea blasting in. It's strip lighting like this. It's, a, it's hard chairs. There was no ambience or atmosphere at all that you could imagine in this space of highly conservative, both theologically and more importantly, I think, personality, this highly conservative room of, of mostly middle-aged women and men, I was definitely in the bottom third age-wise, sitting there, and I felt nervous, genuinely, friends, really nervous about being in that space and being invited to speak to this, this group, any of whom I felt could do a better job. 
And in that opening session, what I was trying to say to these ministers was, was there is a posture, a first posture, that comes with any attempt to lead and serve God's people. And that first posture in the Bible is not standing with your Bible open and preaching Jesus as vital and crucial as that is. That is not your first posture of following Jesus or trying to lead for Jesus. Your first posture is not sitting at your desk with your commentaries and your scholars trying to get the word of God into your own heart. As vital as that is, that is not the first posture of Christian leadership, sitting and studying. It's not even on your knees in desperate prayer for Jesus. That is not the first posture of following Jesus or Christian leadership. The first posture is on your face in absolute awe at his magnificence and his wonder and his awesomeness. And I was in Revelation chapter 1, where John, the writer of Revelation, sees Jesus in all of his power. And his first response, he does not speak, he does not pray. His first response, it says, is he falls down dead, as if dead, on his face before Jesus. And so there was this raggedy, raggedy sermon that I was attempting to, to preach that I got to the end of it, and those of you who know what it's like to try and teach the Bible, you know so often you get to the end and you just think, please God, let that be the dream. Like, let that be, I was asleep so I can have another go at that. Like, mm -hmm. I just wanted to try again at that, and I, I shut my eyes to pray. And there was a couple, and I could feel the Scarborough coldness coming through the windows and the hard floor and the, the blazing lights and this, this cold, unpleasant ambience. And I closed my eyes to pray. And in the couple of seconds to get my wits around us, I heard this kind of scrape and this chink of metal. And I know you're not meant to, but I opened one eye just to peek, you know, and I know you're not meant to, but Jesus is present, you know. And I opened one eye. And the room was people just pushing their chairs away and lying themselves on the floor with no one saying a word. No one spoke that chair after chair was just being pushed, not neatly, just moved out of the way. And in total silence, the whole room lay down on their face. And as I, as I peeked, and trust me, I just died for the deck at that moment. <laughs> I'm not going to be the last one standing in this space right now. You know, but I, as I peeked, there was this, I found out later, he was 83 retired minister who'd, who'd come along and with two sticks. And three chaps were around him as he desperately got himself down on his face. He told me afterwards he hasn't been that close to the ground in 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was just silence. Like, no one prayed. No one sang. No one spoke. Like, again, once or twice, I just peeked to check the rapture hadn't happened. Or, like, they'd all left for a cup of tea and I was on my own. Or something. But no, this... You know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't jest about it, should I? It, I? I don't know about anyone else in the room. I would not have dared speak. All that was in my mind as that happened was there's a little phrase in Revelation that I've never really understood. One of the strange phrases in Revelation where it says, and there was silence in heaven for half an hour. Now, I don't know how long we were on the floor. I don't think it was half an hour, but it, it felt like eternity. This, this mm. heaviness, this heaviness. And then someone just read from Revelation 1, 1 verse 17, it says, and, and John and I, John speaking, I fell at his feet as though dead. And Jesus put his hand upon my shoulder and said, do not be afraid. And someone read that out. 
And then our general secretary, the head honcho of our whole national body, who was there as well, she got up, and one or two of the regional ministers, they just got up, the three of them, and they just walked around the room, placing their hand on people's shoulders and just saying, do not be afraid. And that person stood up and just left the room until the room was empty again. Presence. Presence of Jesus. Yeah. His presence. Or, or let me tell you this story. So I had a phone call Wednesday night, late-ish Wednesday night, about 8 o'clock, left a message on my answer phone. And I could tell by their voice, again, I found out later he was in his 80s or his next birthday is 80, but I could tell by his, his quavering voice, he was an older generation, and he, and he, and he rang my, left a message on my answer phone saying, um, is that the Reverend Harris? Oh, I'm just like, I'm in trouble. Because if someone starts with that, uh, now I wasn't, I wasn't, but normally, if I ever get a letter that says to the Reverend Alex Harris, I'm like, oh no, what's happened, right? But he, I, I want to talk to the Reverend Harris. I, um, I met someone in the supermarket restaurant, and, and can you give me a ring back? And he left a, he left a landline, no mobile. I mean, who doesn't have a mobile today? He left a landline number. And I, I, ran, I rang him back the next morning. It took three attempts before he picked up. You know, no answer phone on his landline. Third time, I thought, I'll try once more, and then I'll, I'll see. And he, and he picked up, and I said, it, it, it's Alex. Oh, Reverend Harris. I'm like, oh, no. Anyway, uh, but it, then he said, um, I, I've, I've, I found your, I said this on Friday, I found your number on my iPad. I'm like, oh, we'll leave that home. But anyway, so... Uh, 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 and then he told me this story, he said the day before, so this must have been Wednesday, he'd gone to his supermarket, Sainsbury's, and he, he, he went to the Sainsbury's restaurant, he called it the restaurant in Sainsbury's, you know, the cafeteria, the cafe there, and he said he, he, he was sitting at his table, and he couldn't take his eyes off this young lady across the way with her three children. And he kept looking at her, and he said to me, I got worried because I thought maybe she'd think I was flirting with, with, with her. You know? He said, but I, I couldn't help it. I kept looking over. And in the end, I got up and I went to speak to her, and I said, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. And he was such a, a on the phone, he was such a kind, well-spoken man. You, know, you, you can kind of picture him almost apologetically walking across. And, and I know the lady he was talking about. I, I, after he described her, and I recognised her. He said, I walked across to this lady. She had th her three children with her young lady, and I said, I'm really sorry to inter interrupt, but I, 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 there's something about it, I don't know what it is, and she said to me, yeah, no, there is, because just a few weeks ago, I started going to this church called Beacon Church, on, she didn't even know the name of our church, she said, I started going to this church that's on the technology park on Beacon Side, and I think I'm meeting Jesus, and I think it's changed me, and apparently they sat down and had this conversation, and, and this 80-year-old man went home, and on his iPad, somehow managed to find my mobile and rang me. And within a couple of minutes, he got to the point and said, so I rang you because I think I need to find the Jesus that she was talking about. Wow. Now, I don't even know if that lady is saved. Like, genuinely, I've not had that conversation with her. But there is something about the presence of God, isn't there? Something about the, the presence of God being there. One last story, and some of you have heard this from Riri in different setups and formats. So you, if you know who I mean by Riri, part of our church, you can ask him for the details. But Riri tells the story of being deeply convicted as we entered to Amplify that he needed to pray hard. And so he set his alarm clock, I think it's for 5.30, but some, some early time before the rest. And he said, I'm going to get up every morning. I'm going to pray for an hour, 5.30. He said within a day or two, he wasn't needing his alarm. God was getting him up. In fact, he told me a couple of times, 3.30 in the morning, he just 
pinged awake and he's, 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 he just wants to spend time with Jesus. And a couple of days into that, three or four days into that, he said he just had this experience of God like he had never known. He, he said there was this sound, I can't do it. It sounds like helicopter rotors. He, he does this sound. He says it was like this. And three times this sound kind of descended on him and, and this, this illness, this um, affliction in his body, this, these muscle constrictions that he's had for the best part of 35 years years and for many years prevented him from being able to, to walk properly and, and now are, are, are left with kind of ticks and stuff that, that he felt God just take those things away from him, just, just, just lift them away and he was free from that. Now that in itself is remarkable, isn't it? Yeah. But what followed in the next couple of days was Riri stepping out boldly and more than this, people stepping towards Jesus. So his best friend since high school who doesn't know Jesus, who lives in France, Riri rings him up, his best friend for the first time ever says, yes, I agree that we can pray together. So he takes half an hour at work on Skype, and they pray together, uh, 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 you know, through technology, they pray together, and this guy's depression the next day is lifted. The, the, the first job opportunity for this guy in about 10 years comes about, and this guy is saying, this is all Jesus at work, right? That this presence of God, just to be clear, is not just about an experience that we have. It's a sending thing. Mm. 300 ministers sent to 300 churches on Wednesday with the presence of God in them. That young mum with her three children sent to Sainsbury's Cafe with the presence of God. So David gets to meet Jesus. And I spoke to him just briefly this morning because he's walking distance from Risenbrook and he was going to Risenbrook Church. Isn't that fantastic? Because he could get there. We don't care that he doesn't come here, do we? We care he gets to Jesus. Yeah? Right. Sent with the presence of God. Riri, it's not simply about the wonder of him possibly having been healed. We'll see what the doctors say. It's the reality that he's then sent with that message to see friends saved. Can I read Exodus 33 in your Bibles? This is what it says. It says, uh, so verse 12, Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favour with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Do you see what the conversation that Moses and God have in, in verse 12? It, Moses says, you keep telling me, God, lead these people. That God is constantly saying to us, go and do this. Go, go and live my truth and live my beauty and speak my love. Go and represent me in your workplace, in your family, in your sports team, in your music group, as a parent, as a single. Send it. Go and do this. Go and do this. And do you see Moses' reply? He says, but you have not let me know whom you will send with you. Moses basically says, that's all well and good, God, but who's going to help me? 
Who's going to make this a reality? Who's going to make it possible for me to live in the way that you want? Who's coming with you? Now, in Moses' mind, it's a slightly passive-aggressive almost. In Moses' mind, he's saying, where's, where's Joshua? Because if you look back at sentence uh, 11, just before, it says, Moses would return to the camp, but his young assistant Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. You know, Joshua was young, Joshua was vibrant, Joshua was strong, Joshua had the credibility of the people. And Moses is saying, you're asking me to lead this people, but you're not saying who's going to come with me. Get Joshua out the tent. Yes? And we all have these Joshuas we think we need, that when God says to us, yes, you are to live in that marriage. Yes, you are to live in that workplace. Beacon Church is 20 congregations by 2020, 20 microchurches by the end of this year. We say, but where's my Joshua? Where's the finances to pull it off? Where's the really brilliantly trained staff team to make it happen? Where's the fantastic building or the amazing resource or, or the younger person than me or the, the better musician than I am or the better preacher? Where, where's my Joshua? I need, I can't do this. And do you see how God responds, verse 14? The Lord replied, my presence will go with you. The point is, God's presence is enough. God's presence is enough. And just like on Friday, I want to acknowledge in front of this larger group that I have not led us well when it comes to God's presence. That I have done everything I possibly can to stand and preach Jesus from the Bible and sit at my desk for hours the week before, studying that word and trying to get it into my heart so I can communicate it well. And I really have done my very best to sit opposite you in your homes, in your front rooms, or in my office here, and love you and care for you when it's hard and when it's difficult. And when we grew too big for me to be able to do that, I've worked hard to make sure others can. And I pray seriously, (coughs) rigorously try and be on my knees, metaphorically, or or literally praying, but I have not, I have not led us well when it comes to the presence of God. I have not helped us to lay as if dead before the splendour and the magnitude and the beauty of Jesus. And he has been so gracious to us for eight years. He has been so, so good to us for eight years. And if Amplified has said anything to me, It is we need the presence of God. That we need the weighty, real, all of life, every moment, presence of God. And someone said to me on Friday, after Friday, they said, Alex, do you want us to be more charismatic? And charismatic in the Bible is a beautiful word. It kind of means the gift of the spirit. Charismatic in church speak means swinging from the rafters, hands up, you know, doing a whoop-whoop dance, right? I don't know which one that person meant. And part of me says, yes, obviously, you know. Of course I want one of our values, spirit-dependent. Of course I want us living authentically. And if your personality is a little bit hyper, like mine, of course I want you feeling able to express that. Equally, I couldn't care less if you stand like a soldier. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind. That's personality. That's personality. When I'm talking about the presence of God, I don't think it's the same thing as being more charismatic. Does that make sense? I, 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 don't, I don't mishear me. 
Holy Spirit, more, I cry. But I think this is a different thing. A connected but different thing. I think maybe it's closer to when the Apostle Paul talks about the aroma of Christ being around us. Like that, that, that young lady with her three kids in a supermarket coffee shop. Now, those of you with young kids know what that moment is like. It's not like this. Oh, is it? Like, it's not. It's not. It's like, stop putting baked beans down your brother's back. Uh, where's the shopping gone? I've left it in the till. Where, where, it's just chaos, isn't it? Yes? Yes? Yeah. And yet, somehow, the presence of God was, was there. That an 80-year-old gentleman couldn't take his eyes off her to such an extent he got worried that she would misunderstand that. But it wasn't her that he was seeing, was it? And those ministers, there was something profound about the lack of ambience that, that saw what happened. Does that make sense? It was so distant from anybody's thought at all, mostly mine, that that was what would happen. In fact, as I bent my head to pray, the thought in my head was, I'm going to get them to talk about this intellectually in groups. Didn't it? So far apart, isn't it? (laughs) What I want to try and answer is how do we experience this overwhelming presence of God? Individually, corporately, across our congregations. And I'm flagging up that I'm learning this myself, right? Like on Friday, I said, I've rung every one of my Pentecostal charismatic friends, like on speed dial constantly, and mostly what all of them have done is has sent me a book they've written. And I've kind of gone, I don't want to read a book, right? Yeah? I think there's three things I want to draw out of this passage. Because I want us to understand this. I don't want us to, I don't want to take a caricature I want us to understand what Christ wants us to understand. And that's why I don't, this, I don't want this to be heart to heart. I want this to be mind to mind. The, the renewal of our minds. I don't want anyone to leave and say, Alex was just trying to emotionally, emotionally corner us. Right? I want you to leave saying, Alex has invited us to think with his Holy Spirit's help about this presence of God, about this awe before Jesus that goes with us, because it's through the renewal of our minds that we are transformed. Does that make sense? So get it around us, three things I think this passage teaches us. First of all, this overwhelming presence of God flows out of a genuine, intimate relationship with God, that it does not bypass lived-out obedience. It does not come from nowhere, but it comes from an intimate relationship with God. Look at sentence 13, would you? Moses is speaking. He says, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. See, Moses is saying, look, teach me your ways. Help me to know you in my 
everyday life. He could well be referencing the Ten Commandments only a couple of chapters earlier where God says that this is how you are meant to live. This is what it looks like in everyday living. Teach me your ways. So I am living for you. I'm in relationship with you. I'm close to you. You are my companion. You are my friend. In fact, look at sentence 11, just a little bit back, right at the beginning. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Do you see the intimacy of the relationship, the, the closeness of the knowing of Jesus? John falls at his face as if dead in front of Jesus in Revelation. But we read of John and Jesus through the Gospels as the most intimate and close friends who would often, with one other, three of them, sneak off for time together. They knew each other so well that Jesus gave them a nickname, Son of Thunder. Close intimacy. Look at verse 12. It says, uh, Moses said to the Lord, or the end of verse 12, I know you by name, God has said. Verse 17, at the end there, I know you by name. Do you see the intimacy of that? The closeness of that? Israel, though not yet a nation state, was hundreds of thousands of people. And yet God knows Moses by name. By name. Intimate, close relationship with Jesus. So the first charge... And it's very true to say when you preach, if you aim at your own heart, you might hit a few others on the way. So the first charge to me, which I think comes to all of us, is where is that intimacy? Where is that closeness? Do you meet with Jesus face to face? Do you say, teach me your ways? Do you say, for 20 years I've followed you, God, but teach me your ways? I don't know it all. Secondly, there is intentional, hard seeking for God's presence. Not just an ongoing relationship, but secondly, an intentional, hard seeking for the presence of God to rest upon us. Look at sentence 15. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Now what's remarkable about that is the sentence before God has already promised my presence will go with you. So verse 14, God says, my presence will go with you. And then Moses' immediate response, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us. Is he disbelieving God? Is he disbelieving God's promise? No. He's standing on God's promise and pleading for it to become a reality, isn't he? That God says, if I'm going to send you to be my missionaries in the world, notice again the word sent. This presence of God is not for our own benefit. It's not some internal experience. It's not sanctified navel-gazing, right? It's about being sent. It's about the only way we can be effective as sent people into the world. And so God promises, I'm going to send you, and my presence will go with you. You don't need the Joshua's you think are so important. You need my presence. And Moses' response is to say, if your presence doesn't come, we cannot go. Please, more, give it. It's intentional, hard seeking. Not a casual stepping out. Not a, oh yeah, he said it, so it's all right. But a heartfelt, desperate plea. How else will my teenage children turn to Jesus? So I will plead with God. 
that our home will be saturated with the presence of God, even as he promises it. In fact, look how intentional it is. Look back at verse 7, right? This is how they organised the moments when they intentionally sought God's presence. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Do you see the intentionality here? A tent positioned somewhere else, given a special name. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. I need you, God, so I'm setting aside the time. I'm making a journey. I'm going to the place. I've got to have your presence. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, he's now representing the people as their leader. So it's going to affect everyone. What happens? All the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tent, watching Moses until he entered the tent. Can you imagine the pressure on Moses at that moment? Yeah? (laughs) He wants to have a quiet time with his God, right? Just going to sneak out when no one's looking, before the kids wake, so I can just have some quiet time with God. He steps out of his tent, and everyone's regimented. Families lined up in front of every tent. In deathly silence as Moses walks between them. I mean, yeah. Intentional, purposeful, set aside to meet with God. I think that's why, as a church, in more ways than I have ever known, in the last month, we have heard of healings, conversions, people turning to Jesus, outrageous commitments to pray. I know of three of our small groups, for different reasons, spontaneously, unknown to each other, People in those small groups have committed to another month of fasting over a child of someone in one of those small groups. I think we have experienced more of that. I heard three stories this morning that I could have told in that introduction. Just this morning as people walked in to tell me things. Across the three, it's three new people converted. Two in one of the stories, one in the other. I think we have seen more of that because more than the intimate relationship lacking is we perhaps have lacked this intentionality. Again, maybe I'm preaching at my heart and hitting a few others on the way. Maybe it's just for mine. I don't think I've done anything quite as dramatic, resource-consuming, time-consuming as setting up a tent in a special place out away from everyone else and setting aside time and letting everyone know that I'm I'm going to seek God's presence so they can stand and pray with me as I go and do that. Now, of course, the massive error that we can make is to think all we have to do is intentionally seek like this. That we can neglect the intimacy of our relationship with God. That we can bypass obedience to his ways. Live our lives under our own authority. And then as long as we get into the space, every now and again, the presence of God will descend. That's a massive error, isn't it? But equally, it's a massive error to think, I have an intimate, ongoing, growing, flourishing, vibrant relationship with my Jesus. Therefore, I don't need to be really intentional about seeking his presence. That is also a terrible mistake, isn't it? I think. I think. 
And then lastly, and thirdly, the purpose and point and outcome of all of this is distinctive living that transforms lost people. Have a look at sentence 16, would you? Sentence 16. Last time we'll look down at the Bible. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? The whole point and purpose and outcome of this is that people who don't know God will undeniably experience God. That people who, who do not know who he is in his love and his justice and his grace and his truth and his correction and his embrace and his compassion, they will come to know it. How else will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What will distinguish me and your people from the other peoples on the face of the earth unless your presence is with us? Many other people stand up and preach in a persuasive and convincing way about a God who is not Jesus. Many other people do social action and reach out to the lost and the last and the vulnerable with love and care and grace and practical care with no mention of Jesus. Many others pray more rigorously on a five times a day rhythm and routine and fast every year for 40 days, together corporately at a month called Ramadan. Most of the postures we hold are not unique. The standing up and preaching posture, the content is, it's Jesus from the Bible, but the posture is repeated by politicians, by lecturers, by Imrans, the hard study at a desk, that posture is repeated by many. The on-your-knees prayer, whether it's to the pure gym fitness God, or Allah, or an internal focus of enlightenment, or the six-pack abs, they're all gods. And people get on their knees and pray. But the posture... The reality that distinguishes us from others ultimately is the presence of God. The presence of God. That means you walk into a cold school hall and 300 ultra-conservative middle-aged women and wet men in utter silence lay on the floor. Right? That you walk into a cafe in Sainsbury's with your three chaotic children and someone looks across the room and says, who is their God? That she carries them with her. That's what distinguishes us. We come out of Amplified, I come out of Amplified, with a deep, deep conviction that we will never, ever stop preaching Jesus from the Bible. We will never, ever stop sitting across one another, loving and caring for each other when we're hurting and wounded. We don't do pastoral care in this church. We do pastoral share. That's what we do. We love each other. We'll never stop being on our knees more and more, pleading for God to work through prayer. 
but we will start proactively learning what it means to have the presence of God on us for mission, for sending, for going, for distinctive living. That's what's on my heart. I've tried to teach it mind to mind. Romans 12, the renewal of our mind. I don't want you leaving. Many of us left Friday night talking about the experience of Friday night. Looking back on what had happened on Friday night. That's great. I want us leaving this space looking forward. Saying, what do I now do? Like Moses, to plead, I need that presence. I need that presence. I'm going to invite us, therefore, to pause and have an internal conversation. In your own mind. Have a conversation now between yourself and God. Ask him just to unjumble and clarify. So let's sit in the quiet and do that. And then I think there's two or three of us who would really help the rest by leading us in prayers. Two or three who kind of feel they'll be able to pray into this as we sit in quiet. So a minute or so quiet, speak to God. And then the two or three who feel able to, feel they want to, just lift us to God and pray into this, and then we're going to sing at home under deep leadership.